This episode of the Playlist Podcast is brought to you by Secrets of the Whales. From executive producer and National Geographic explorer James Cameron comes Secrets of the Whales, a Disney Plus original documentary series plunging viewers deep within the epicenter of whale culture to experience the extraordinary communication skills and intricate social structures of five different whale species. Narrated by Sigourney Weaver, the series was filmed over three years in 24 locations around the world. As the Wall Street Journal said, it takes just a single glance at the opening scene to feel you've been transported to paradise. Secrets of the Whales is for your consideration for outstanding documentary or nonfiction series streaming now on Disney Plus. And for more information, go to natgeotv.com slash FYC. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike D'Angelo, and on this episode, my co-hosts and I got to sit down with comedian Eliza Schlesinger. She's currently out promoting her new film, Good on Paper, which is available now on Netflix. Eliza is just a blast to talk to. Uh, We laugh a lot. She's a comedian, so she knows how to work a room, but uh, she obviously knew how to work us three schlubs. Uh, So during the interview, we got to talk about the true events that led to her film, Good on paper, casting Ryan Hansen without knowing who he was necessarily, and even the effects of cancel culture and, and what it's done to stand up uh, in the modern era, and, and obviously much, much more. I'll let you hear every bit of that conversation in a minute, but before we get to our chat, I've got to tell you that the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. It can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Spotify. Follow us on iTunes and you'll get this podcast as well as the other shows uh, regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating. And as always, thank you for listening. Now, without further delay, our chat with the hilarious Eliza Schlesinger. Uh, I want to thank Eliza Schlesinger for joining us on the Playlist Podcast to talk about Good on Paper. Uh, I'm sure you're excited to talk about your new film to your obvious obvious target audience, some white guys approaching 40. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, weirdly, it's part of my demographic. We're all the same age. So it works. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that said, I do remember rooting for you on Last Comic Standing. So I do consider myself like an OG Eliza fan. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. And and I follow your Insta and all that jazz. So okay. Yeah. Well, I'm good company then. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know about these these other two dudes who are. They just don't know you. Views. No, that's fine. They're just <laughs> here for moral support. Uh, it's like an open <laughs> mic. Great. Yeah. I've yeah. watched all the specials actually. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so good on paper. Let's let's get to it. Uh, the movie you wrote begins with a title card that says this is mostly a true story. So I'm sure you're going to get this question quite a bit. Um, and considering this is a film about a pathological liar that weasels his way into the life of a stand up comedian played by you in a movie yeah. that's written by you. I have to yeah. assume that this is something or a version of something that has happened to you. So do you want to get into that and let us know? Give us the deets. Sure. So this is, we're calling it a mostly true story based on a lie. We put mostly in there for legal reasons, Um, but it actually is a completely true story. This did happen to me. I met a guy on a plane, as you'll see in the movie, and it's just really the story about meeting someone, not really being into them because you're not attracted to them, which is something we're always telling women, like, give him a chance anyway, even though he's a warthog. (laughs) He's such a nice guy. You never, by the way, you've never said to a guy like, I know she's a wildebeest, but like, give her a chance. It's like, no, she's hideous. So it's always weird. Um, And it's just really the story of their friendship and him sort of pining for her and her being like, look, I'm not into it. And then how she sort of falls for him. And then the, like what happens and she, the, everything begins to unravel and 
all the things he thought she thought that he was he wasn't and it's a true story up until a point and then there's a bit of a twist and i'm if i may i'm calling it a bit of a once upon a time in hollywood ending because the ending is a bit of like wish fulfillment that i did for anyone who's ever it's not about getting your heart broken but anybody who's ever been lied to or just like gotten like fucked in a relationship I was like, we'll do an ending for all those people who legally can't take it out on someone. So we, uh, it gets kind of weird at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not selling it very well there. It's weird in a good way. It's not like it goes off the deep end into something. No, a dog doesn't like rip out someone's crotch like in that movie. But uh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's just, we tried to keep it very honest, very grounded. I don't want to give away too much, but it's, you know. You end up together happily. We end up together and, and you married him. Down. It's actually a true story about you and your husband, right? True story. <laughs> and so it took place. Uh, at least that'd be so funny. Really. In the end, I stayed with him anyway because I was desperate. But, uh, yeah, it's a story about that. And when I told the story originally several years ago, I was so surprised because I thought it was just a freak thing that had happened to me, meeting like a sociopath. The amount of people who reached out and were like, this happened to me. I dated a guy. He lied about cancer. That apparently is like a thing that people lie about. Insane. The amount of men and women who reached out, they were like something very similar happened. So it is this weird epidemic in our country that people are probably ashamed to admit. But if you look at like Dr. Death and like Dirty John, like the world is replete with these type of like talented Mr. Ripley's. That's true. My wife and I were watching it and and at a moment I paused it and I was like, have you ever met anybody like this? Because I have. Uh, yeah. I haven't dated the person, but I, I know people that have, have lied about stuff in your life. It's so crazy the amount of, of lies they go. And my wife actually said that she knew somebody who lied about a pregnancy and like Ooh. kept the lie going and, and had like a, a fantasy like miscarriage. And it was just nuts. Oh my oh. God. It's that weird thing where you're like, what's your end game? Yeah. Like, how's this going to happen? And so- it was in telling the story and I wrote it as, as a cathartic process to write it out. And here I am all these years later in doing that artistic process. Like there's no anger. Like when I talk about the movie, it's not about that guy anymore. It's about the movie, the comedy, the characters. Like when I think about this in real life, I think about Ryan Hansen playing Dennis Kelly. I don't think about that real person. Like it's taken on its own thing. And I think that's what artists do is you take something painful and tragic at the time and you turn it into something positive so that it's relatable um and that's what it is to me now so so what about this story uh made you think like this is the movie i need to write it wasn't about i mean i write a lot of movies and this one it poured out of me i always knew that they were gonna try to kidnap him in some way or another at the end like i always knew like that was gonna be the end of course i didn't do that in real life but I also wanted to really- For legal reasons, you have to say that. For legal reasons, but also I wanted to <laughs> dig into, because in movies, it's always like, let's kidnap them. And it always seems so easy, but I really wanted to show, like if you tried to kidnap a grown man, how, <laughs> or a human as just a normal person, how difficult that would be and how so many things could go wrong without being over the top. So I do think we kept it very grounded in all of the physical comedy and on kind of the gross things that happen. Um but it happened, and I, my first thought as just an artist was like, I got to get this out. Just as I would a grievance with, like, airports or whatever as a comic <laughs> or people. I was like, I just got to get this out. So I just started writing. And, you know, I think this happened around, like, 2015. And I looked in my email. It wasn't until, like, 2018 that I 
met with who would become the producer of this. So this had been something that I very secretly would work on late at night. Maybe you have, you know, a show, you come home, maybe you're on the road, you don't go out, you come home after a bad audition. And it was this like secret pet that I had kept that I was very comforted to know that I had this at home waiting for me, this script that I was excited about. And I don't, I don't go, I don't go to Starbucks. I don't sit at coffee houses. I don't let people know I'm working on things. I just, it was nice to have that to chip away at um, and then to eventually collaborate on it. So actually watching the finish, finished product, especially after seeing the trailer, I, I was surprised by how dark this was. Like this yeah. thing, this thing gets to some very uncomfortable places. And, you know, you kind of expect that it's like this weird rom-com that, you know, ends happily for everybody. But I, I don't want to spoil it by saying it not, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Nobody wins. Um, nobody wins. Nobody wins. Uh, but it is a funny movie. And it's not something like Uncut Gems where, you know, it covers uh, some really, really dark stuff mm -hmm. and doesn't, you know, give you any uh, release from it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it hits a lot of dramatic notes. And as the screenwriter, when you sit down and decide to translate this experience into a film, did you worry about tone at all? Did you worry like do we have to lighten it up here or do we have to go more slapstick or, you know, where, where yeah. were you sitting with it? That's a great question. And even though you said it's not like uncut gems, I'm still going to choose to look at it. Like you did compare <laughs> it to uncut gems. You could put that in the bot on the DVD. Thanks. It's just that, Benny? like uncut gems. Yeah. Um, weirdly, Benny Safdie plays my boyfriend in pieces of a woman. Uh, oh and that's yep. just so random um and he's great and so this movie's just like uncut chance um <laughs> it's a great question because tone is that thing where like it, it's it's really hard to master and you kind of don't know till you go and your director is in charge of that and then of course once you get into editing and I always want to write jokes and so you don't want to you sometimes you're at it's so fractured like this first act is really funny and moves and then it gets real like you lost your tone it's this like elusive thing. And so the whole time you're just like, I hope people think it's all the same tone. And I hope they don't give me a note about tone because I don't know how to fix the tone. <laughs> um, but I think well, you, I was just in my oh, comedy, I'm very honest. And I think vulnerability and keeping things grounded and honest. So when she unleashes about how upset she is, it's not that she, it's partially being mad at him, but she's embarrassed. And that's what I felt, you know, because the world looks at you like, oh, you dumb girl. How come you fell for this? And you feel that way too. Um, and you feel anger. And so just tapping into just being honest about it versus trying to make it about something it's not keeping the characters grounded, but always, you know, remind me, if it's not funny, then it's just a really sad movie. And <laughs> so the comedy is the easy part. And it was peppering in those moments of vulnerability in the right places that don't make it drag. Um, and so it was just my honest attempt at it, I guess. And I hope you don't take it as like a worry about tone. Like you have something no. to worry about here. No, no, no. It's just, it's a, it's a note we get, people get. Yeah. And, and I'm always like, I don't know. And I'm it is different tones at different points in the movie. And I think that's what kind of makes it interesting. Is it, well, it kind I, of changes. I appreciate that. Cause I, I also feel, you know, when you go to read, when you go to an audition, I, and the only example I can think of right off the bat, like in Spencer Confidential, when I read for Sissy initially, she was up here. She was at a 10 all the time. And I remember <laughs> saying, you know, 
people, men will turn on her very quickly and she will prove this, this theory that women are crazy. If you got her up here the whole time, nobody wants to watch any scene where the characters are screaming the whole time. Um, you have to have peaks and valleys. You have to take people on that journey. You got to give them a rest and you got to give them a break and you have to understand when their hearts may be hurting and, you know, take them there and go with them. If you're forcing it, people will get exhausted. It's the same thing in comedy. You know, if your whole act, which mine is, is just like up here <laughs> and your opener is up here and everyone is saying like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And then it's exhausting. And so you have to be mindful of the, of the energy and the flow of it. And stand-up's a great example of that, at least the good ones who can craft a set. And so for this, you know, we wanted to take people on that emotional journey. She's feeling great, vulnerable, sad, and then ice cold <laughs> in, the, in the courtroom. Yeah. So you mentioned Ryan Hansen before, or as we call him, Ryan Handsome. Whoa. <laughs> all three of you yeah no alone got it the first time we've said that he's um, so handsome <laughs> but we are big fans of party down and so when you're looking for the right guy to play this creepy manipulative liar like what made you think ryan hansen's the guy and please tell me that the pool scene required a body double or did he go full method with his with his belly <laughs> i'll tell you everything i'll tell you everything okay. you want to know please um i had never I feel like a jerk saying this, but it's just the truth. I had never, oh my God. <laughs> keep it, keep to, it in, keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> I drank a beet juice really fast and then I had a coffee. I don't know what I'm oh trying to gosh. do over here. I, I was stuffing um, my face before this too. So it's fun. Let's talk about that beet juice. Sure. <laughs> I'm in Nashville and everything is like a biscuit here, but there happens to be like an organic, like healthy market by my hotel. And every time I'm in Nashville, I always go, it's called the turnip truck, shout out. And I just go <laughs> and I get my juices and my cassava chips and whatever bullshit. Um, so I had never heard of Ryan Hansen mm -hmm. and Kimmy Gatewood, who we brought on as our director, pitched him. And, you know, just to be honest, this is, this movie is, a, it was a small budget movie. It was a real labor of love. And I, we didn't have the time. This is going to sound shitty, but it's just true. It, we didn't have the time to go out to, you know, everybody has their wish list of like major actors. And I'm going with through this on another project. And you, by the grace of God, even if you get it to them, even if they like it, they still have to read it. And people take months because nobody, A, knows how to read and B, <laughs> wants to read. <laughs> so you have to learn how to read. So we made a decision very early on, like these we're going to offer these parts. And she pitched Ryan and I was like, okay, like we need just a guy that can do this. And I watched some of the stuff. I was like, obviously this guy can act. And more importantly, he wanted to do it. He wanted to play this line bad guy. Every guy wants to play like Captain America. Every guy wants to be the romantic lead. So it was cool to see a guy who is ostensibly a golden retriever in real life, just happy <laughs> and want to want to tackle this complex character. So I met him and I was just like, He's not ugly. Like, what are we going to do about this? And Ryan was the first to be like, I got a tooth guy. I'm going to wear these weird big teeth. <laughs> he had a tooth guy. He's like, and he dyed his hair. He got, he got the glasses. I'm looking at you glasses, but he, you know, all the Hollywood things, brown hair, glasses that make girls unattractive. Um, <laughs> did all that. And then, you know, he wore a little bit of padding. So he was up for it. And I think that's such an important thing, especially in an indie movie, people that are just like, I'm down. Let's do it. What do you want me to do? Um, and I think that goes a long way. And then the pool scene, we did cast a body double. This scene was like, 
in my head, I saw, I just saw how perfect it needed to be. And in the edit, I was very protective over every cut. Cause if you cut too early or too late, the whole joke is ruined. Like it had to be at the right time. So we did hire a body double and I just have to say, I don't remember his name and that's terrible, but I talked to the kid who we cast as the body double. And I was just like, cause I remember thinking like, what does it take to answer that <laughs> breakdown? And I asked him, and cause he, he was like a fan and he was so nice. And I was like, how did you get this gig? Like, did your agent say you're terrible? Let's go. And he goes, I think you're he just told me he was fat enough. He was like, I read it. And like the breakdown was like, you know, must have a bad body. And he was like, I thought that's me. <laughs> he was just so cool about it. And he let us put all this fake tan stuff on him. So it's a fun, it's probably like the punchiest moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, we had fun doing that. The water no, was, was very I was just cold. wondering where you got video footage of my body. And how you did that. But- <laughs> Hidden camera. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, yeah. well, thanks for reminding me. I need to call my tooth guy, apparently. Um, <laughs> call your tooth guy. Yeah, call you your... call, we've all got a tooth guy. But uh, yeah, speaking <laughs> of other cast members, uh, Margaret Cho is great. And in this film, I, I mean, she's just incredible as just one of the funniest people alive. And we're talking about someone that deserves to be up there when discussing some of the all-time great stand-ups. I guess I, I'm assuming you two have a history together in the in the L.A. comedy scene, but did you have any issues in getting her in the film or was she always the choice for the role? Um, Margaret, I mean, there's a couple answers to these things. Sure. In writing it, I, cause you know, I probably started writing this before I had met Margaret or after, you know, she'd always been very kind. You know, I'd had her on my podcast once or twice and sometimes you invite people on and just because you're both comics doesn't mean you've met each other. She runs sort of in a different circle and definitely like has her own established life. Like she, mm-hmm. Margaret does her thing. And she'd always been so generous with her time with me and so kind. And it's difficult, you know, you don't always come by that and you don't always get a chance to meet other comics. And she was just so cool. So that aside, when I wrote this character, I remember I knew she was gay. Uh, because this character is actually an amalgamation of three different women, one of whom is my best friend who's gay. And I just thought having her, I don't know, something I just really get along with lesbians, but like having your best friend be gay rings so true to me and the way we speak to each other and the sort of toughness, but like the love between us. So I knew she was gay and I wanted to give her a little bit of a story with the other character, just a little bit of a love story, just because you, I didn't want it to be like, and I made her gay and then there's no other personality trait. Like I wanted her to have some substance. And uh, I don't remember how the name like came up when we were just like thinking about it, but I definitely had her in my mind and everybody agreed. And we just reached out to her and she said yes. And it was such a huge piece of the puzzle um, to get her because she and I are very different. And she's so um, malleable is definitely not the word, but she's so easy. <laughs> on set right I'm just like hey I just had a thought she's like great let's do it done she brings her little dog like she's just happy on time professional there and that's what you want and she gets comedy obviously Mm -hmm. so there's no heavy lifting like just to be able to trust another performer and that's what this whole movie was was just an act of trust between me and a bunch of people that I really didn't know before and I think that that's something I want as an actor when I get cast in something is the director to be like, I trust you to make the right choices. And if you fuck up, we can always do another take, but it was, 
a weight off my shoulder knowing that we didn't hire people with egos or people that were like, I don't know what this is supposed to be. Like everybody <laughs> wanted to be there because nobody got really rich off this. I mean, hopefully we will, but um, <laughs> no, it's already sold. So Wilds do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, 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 I've been on sets where number one on the call sheet goes out of their way to make it a really difficult day for everyone. And I just, I know what that feels like to not want to go to work, to like eat lunch quietly alone because you can't be around anyone. And I think we all very much enjoyed being there. And then you're done at five and you fucking go home. <laughs> like this wasn't like a crazy drug build. Everybody's got things to do and, and we all respected that. So. so we're done talking about Mark Wahlberg so we can move on. <laughs> no, no, he's great. I, as I say that, I'm like, I haven't done enough movies for people to not try to do that math. No, he's great. And I, I was either going to pick him or Vanessa Kirby. So, you know. no, no, uh, I, uh, I've done a lot of movies that no one's seen. Um, <laughs> but he also, I took a real page out of his book, him and Peter Berg from doing Spencer Confidential. The set was so nice. And all the guys were so nice. And Peter was so egalitarian in the way that he ran everything. And I remember thinking like, nobody's busier than, like I pride myself on being busy and an entrepreneur, but nobody's busier than Mark Wahlberg. And if he can show up, never miss a line, be nice and get it done. Like that's what you do. You don't do it any other way. So I took that with me um, in the, the other projects that I did. Um, so it was nice to learn from one of the best. So take that. Charles, yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> I feel like this is a rare opportunity where we get, you know, a, a prominent stand-up comedian on here. So I have to ask about the way stand-ups are being looked at in 2021. You know, there are a lot of comics talking about the ills of cancel culture and, you know, mostly coming from straight white men in the industry. Um, you have others adapting to the times where, you know, you're doing some of your best work. I, I'm thinking like uh, off the top of my head, Bo Burnham special, it was just mind blowing. But as, like I said, one of the biggest names in the medium today, where do you stand on, you know, the, the cancel culture of it all? Do, do, do you feel like they're getting called out unfairly or does the medium have to evolve, you know, with the culture? Yeah. And others will, but you know, I, I don't remember if it was unveiled or elder millennial. Like I make fun of the type of person who's in the back tweeting about what you said. Like I have been anti that type of canceling for years. In fact, when I guest hosted for Jimmy Kimmel, I wrote a whole monologue about like, it's enough with the cancel culture because this isn't like a guy sexually assaulted a girl and we're calling him out. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, there is that, but it trickles down to the most pedantic things. Everybody makes mistakes. And just because you're not white, just because you're a man, uh, not, sorry, just because you're not a man, like doesn't mean you're absolved of these things and that you're impervious. Everybody, the internet is so vast and everybody's got a clip where like they said something, ooh, they shouldn't have. What we should be looking for are patterns, not an oops, you did one thing once or you didn't know a thing and it was 10 years ago, you know? Men get worried about being called out, but the truth is, my husband doesn't worry about that. Mm -hmm. My friends who are men don't worry about that because they don't do those things. And so oftentimes the men that are worried about it, I'm like, oh, you got a skeleton in your closet. Like you did something <laughs> and you, what's worse is that you know it's wrong versus being a total psychopath and being like, what's wrong with hitting girls? So that doesn't worry, bother me as much. Cause like, look, if you didn't do anything, you didn't do anything. And, and 
not every accusation carries weight. Mm. I've definitely, I did a show one time and the guy had been accused of raping a girl and I walked up to him and I was like, did you rape that girl? Cause I'm not doing your show if you did. And he sat me down and he was like, here's what it is. And in this one case, it was made up. The post got taken down. You couldn't track the person. So shame on anybody that uses it be, uh, to their advantage like that because you just weaken the case of other people. That being said, um, especially when it comes to cancel culture, oftentimes I do think the punishment outweighs the crime. So mm. somebody says a bad word 10 years ago. The public believes that person should lose their livelihood, something in their life, everything. And that, that doesn't make sense. Um, and I think a lot of times the angry mob, you know, if you can just weather that storm for 48 hours, they usually move on. But you get people that are so outraged because people feel so helpless and they want to eat the rich and they want to rip people apart. It's like some guy made him, says something dumb or awful and you want to make sure that he can never make a living again. Like, is that justified? I don't think that we think, I think we just want to see people hurt. It's very like the lottery, you know, it's like watching a public stoning and it's like watching someone get hanged in the town square. We love it. It is the crux of reality TV, watching something <laughs> that shot in Freud of watching something like deliciously terrible happen to someone, not realizing that like that angry mob could turn on you. Like it comes for us all at some point. Um, I don't, I don't know if you ever read that book. So you've been publicly shamed, but it examines several <laughs> cases of people. And this is a while ago who have been like canceled. And the one guy that didn't get canceled was the guy that like refused to apologize. He was being maligned because he was a sexual deviant. I don't think, I don't remember if he, I don't think he hurt anyone. I think he just like some pictures had come out, you know, there's the lady death protest too much. There's you're guilty and you're trying to defend yourself. And then there's, look, I didn't do anything and I'm not going to give into this. But people, I think, do want you canceled for the smallest infraction. And it's like, careful, because it will come for you too. So I do think people are getting tired of that cancel culture because the outrage, people, you're, what are you outraged at? What are you outraged at? And how are, what are you really, what are we fixing? So they, by the way, if somebody gets on, goes publicly and they, say something horrible about my group of people, right? They're like, all Jews are the devil and women are bitches, okay? And then they apologize. Nobody fully accepts an apology. We might get, I'll be like, okay, but I'm still gonna remember that you said that. Like Mel Gibson, like I'll go see daddy's home too. But like, I still know that guy doesn't like Jews. <laughs> so even if you do say something awful and you do, you are forced to apologize, who's it really for? Nobody feels better. We're also going to be like, that guy hates women. That guy's racist. You know, <laughs> it's just so it's, it's all about the optics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we need to take a look at forcing these apologies and what are they actually for and who are they servicing? Um, because it's just fear of being canceled because you could lose everything. And it's disproportionate in a lot of cases. Yeah. That was so long, but I think no. about it a lot. No, that's good. It's appropriate. Yeah. So it, I'm someone who actively dislikes the idea of being quote unquote part of the media. And the main reason for that is it pains me sometimes because I read other people that do similar jobs and they, they write some of the cringiest stuff because people are so obsessed with like hot takes and whatnot. So mm -hmm. without, with that being said, I was doing my research and I found something that was written about you. And uh, I won't name the, the name of the guy and I won't name the, the outlet, but they basically said that you're basically a motivational speaker 
and you're not a comedian and watching your specials is like getting quote indoctrinated into a cult. So first off, that's that's ridiculous. Grab your Kool-Aid and your Nikes and I will meet you over there. So, but, but I, 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 he was trying to justify the fact that you have this brand of comedy where you speak to women and you do it in a way where, you know, it can come off as like motivational, you know, you're all about empowerment and all that. God forbid. I know, right? So when you hear, so when you hear a guy describe your comedy like that, what does that make you think? Is this just like, you know, a strong woman being labeled as a threat because you have a large fan base and are outspoken or what is that? What do you think? I don't even know. I've never seen that article, to be honest. I don't know who that is. And I don't really read a lot of those things. You can tell if you can tell by the outlet sometimes, like if this is going to hurt or not, but I, there's (laughs) an, I guess to my credit, like there's enough coverage of me out there that like, I don't spend my time because I really believe once you create your art, it's not yours anymore. You do put it up for interpretations, just like this movie. If someone says they hate it, look, I've been doing stand-up a very long time and I got my start in clubs and those are brutal. So you learn very quickly, like, you don't like it? Great, I got something else. Let's move on. Um, that doesn't bother me, actually. It, I don't need, like, had I read that, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. I've definitely gotten the comparison that my stand-up has kind of turned into like TED Talks and Usually that's a positive thing. Usually information and empowerment are good things. Not when you give them to the girls though, but uh, (laughs) he seems resistant. And I know I sound like a cult leader when I say that, but I do have like a a 50, 50 audience. And I do pride myself on being very, being a feminist in that, like I, I shit on both sides. And I don't think any man has ever left my show feeling like we attacked. I attacked men because that's not what's in my heart. And that's not how I feel. You know, you'll never hear me being like, men are the worst. Fuck that. Cause that's just, you're alienating these customers and it isn't how I feel. Um, but I do think, you know, I get compared to George Carlin a lot and it's like, you're being a philosopher. You are holding up this mirror to society, but you would never call a guy that, mm-hmm. you know, because men are supposed to have these great vocabularies and they're supposed to speak with authority and pace and um, be confident in what they're saying. And I think that uh, is unnerving to some people when they see me do it, but it's just who I am. I'm just here to make jokes and maybe make you think a little, God forbid, but there's no hidden agenda. We don't have like a sign up sheet (laughs) in the back. (laughs) Well, you did make us sign something before we talked though. Yeah, that's true. My people did. My cloaked people did it. (laughs) Cloaked people. (laughs) Um, So yeah, stand-up's not going anywhere. But I, I know you studied film in college. Now you have your first screenwriting. Buddy is putting it belt. severely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it though. Um, I mean, at this point, do you want to keep expanding your film resume? Maybe get involved behind the camera? I mean, are you part of the Avengers now? I mean, where, where, are, we, where are we heading at this point? Um, we are headed, you know, look, this is such, a, such an unpredictable business. I also want to answer the rest of your question. I just want to say, because you asked a question about is stand-up going to evolve? Stand-up should be evolving. You know, the jokes that the standard way of telling jokes that we did in the 80s or 90s is not the way people tell jokes now. Each comic contribute, not each comic, but, you know, comics contribute the way that we change this form. And comics, we should be allowed to say whatever we want because the intention is always to make people laugh. And if it's, it can be offensive as long as it's funny, But the kicker is usually it's not. So you want to make a joke. You want to make a joke about Chinese people, whatever. As long as it's funny, as long as you got a point and there's some heart to it. I don't know why I picked Chinese people. It's okay. The audience dictates it. People are just so afraid. So, but I, stand-up's not going anywhere. Comics saying what they want isn't going anywhere. You just might see it uh, less 
outwardly, but we're still in those and at those shows still saying things that we know people agree with regardless mm -hmm. of color or gender or race. And as for me, um, it's such an unpredictable career. And I actually am shocked that anything gets made ever because everything's always like, we're going to take a beat. We're going to circle back. The answer is yes, but it's really a no. See you never. So I always like to have several things going at once. That way it takes the sting out of it when something inevitably doesn't go. So we have a couple of movies that I've just, a couple that I've written and a couple that I'm attached to that are, you sound like a liar when you say this stuff, that are at various <laughs> stages. And I think there's a lot sort of writing on this movie to see if, if people accept me <laughs> into their hearts. Um, I have a book deal. So I, in quarantine, I got a book deal with Abrams. And so I'm writing that. It's called All Things Aside. It's my second book. And I'm just forever pitching cable ideas. So we've got a couple of those, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to say it. you don't want to jinx it and you don't want to come across like a total liar. So there's those things. And then of course there's the tour, which is like 60 cities long, which kicked off a few weeks ago in Florida. And um, I'm pretty much, if you want to see me, I'm probably coming to a city near you. So the tour is the, the perennial thing in my life. And uh, got Our a couple more feel. movies. They feel great. Yeah. They feel great. Our, we kicked off our tour in Florida and I'll be honest, like I went to a coffee shop and I have my mask on and I was like, mask on or off. They were like, whatever you want. I was like, mask off. I am vaccinated. <laughs> Who the, why are we still protecting these people? I'm done. <laughs> Crowds were great. People are out, you know, and I made it a point to keep doing shows during the pandemic. And I put together a drive-in tour and you can lie and say the altruistic thing of like, I just really wanted to bring joy to people. No, I wanted to practice stand up, make some money. And you do want to give people a fucking break. So I was proud to have done that. And I've been doing so many local sets that I have a new hour. So we're just going to, we're looking for the way to do that and to keep doing stand up and keep working. And the answer is if somebody gives me a green light, I'll just go in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Basically you're saying whether you read, watch TV, watch movies, go to stand up, Eliza Schlesinger is there. I got something we'll get, for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Um, yeah. So yeah, I want to thank you for joining us. This has been an awesome talk and everybody go see good on paper. You don't have to go far. It's going to be on Netflix on June 23rd. And yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. You guys, it was really great meeting you. All right. Have Likewise. a good one. Bye you guys. Thanks. Bye.